G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're turning our attention today to one of those accounts in the Bible narrative that many find hard to believe. In fact, some people say this is like a children's story. Well, it is far from a children's story, although it does adapt very nicely for telling stories to our children. But you'll know the story of Jonah. It's sometimes called Jonah and the Whale, or the story of Jonah and the Big Fish. It's the account of the reluctant prophet who stowed away on a ship rather than do as God said and speak to the people of Nineveh. It may have something to do with the fact that the Ninevites were nasty, brutal and intolerant. Well, our special guest today, Dr. Brendan Roach, is interested in an archaeological find from Nineveh that is now on display in the British Museum. He says there is a treasure trove of evidence around the main god of the Ninevites, who was known as Dagon. It shines a whole new light on the book of Jonah. Well, our special guest, Dr. Brendan Roach, is founder and president of the Bible teaching ministry called Acts, A-X-X. One of his central passions includes a focus on archaeology, having studied with some of the best biblical archaeologists in Israel. Brendan Roach, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's uh, great to be back talking to you about the weird and wonderful stories of the Bible today. And, Brendan, just before we get into some of the detail around Jonah, you're just back from a trip to Turkey. Yeah, I've just been at an ISEC conference, which is the World Evangelical Alliance Education and I was asked to participate in this setting up what they call non-formal training. So two, somewhere between two and a half to three million pastors around the world have never had any training. So they've been focused on formal Bible colleges and they invited me to be part of a, a team that's going to set up a global effort to try and train majority world and other pastors. So very exciting. Gives us some context, doesn't it? When you say two or three million, you've got to pause for a moment and just reflect on how big that is. Pastors who don't have a formal qualification, and uh, I'll let listeners know how they can support Acts and the good work you're doing in trying to make that happen at the end of our conversation. Hey, Brendan, weird and wonderful stories that are in the Bible. And uh, some of these stories people like to use to write off the thought that there could be any credibility, that there could be a God, that there could be amazing, miraculous things that happen like this. But this is something that God has included in the Scriptures. And people like yourself and others who are able to look at the evidence and look at uh, the way you can deal with some of those things, these things can come to life when we've got some evidence. Yeah, I mean, it's it's because... It's the Bible is so ingrained within the culture of the day that that unless we understand the culture of the day, we we miss things and the, and the stories become mystical or strange, and we just don't know how to process them in the world we live in today. So I love studying archaeology because it gets into the culture and the background. It's it's hard, literally rock solid evidence, 
as to what the Bible's talking about. And and certainly on one of my uh, recent trips to the uh, British Museum, I, I came across this amazing stone relief. All right, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, I mentioned mm. when you've got stories like Jonah, Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the big fish, uh, others mm. like to draw attention to Noah and the ark, and they become sort of children's-oriented stories. There is an adult dimension, isn't there, to how the story of Jonah unfolds? Yeah, there very much is a an importance to that we understand the the background and the culture as to what's going on in Nineveh in this uh, in this time and in this frame where they were they were worshiping their own gods and those gods were very particular and very important as to what was going on in that culture and in that place. And that God, main God that they were worshipping, Dagon, is actually a fish god. And so when we start to understand what's going on, we see the message of Jonah here is being very deliberately, and Jonah's mission was very, very deliberately being addressed to the culture that the Ninevites lived in in that period of time. So when we just have a, a look at the Bible, we see a general important principle, what I call the battle of the gods. So what happens when you take on a foreign god? You don't take on the minor god. You take on the main god. Because if you de- defeat a minor god, it means nothing. So think about the story of the, of the plagues. You start with minor gods and work your way up to the major gods until a son is sacrificed. So we see that 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 it was always a spiritual battle and that's incredibly practical to what we're going through in our in our individual lives and culture and society today it is always a spiritual battle that we're engaging with first and foremost so we introduce the concept of the spiritual battle with the god Dagon before we go any further i might get it in your words when you're telling the story of Jonah and the big fish I wonder if you'd like to do a quick retelling. How's your storytelling skills here? I'll put you on the spot. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, you okay. can, you can. All of all of a sudden, you've got your academic hat on, and uh, and we're talking about what all these things mean. And uh, I know that many of our listeners, Brendan, will be very familiar with the story of Jonah. But there might be some who are just stumbling across us and thinking. I didn't grow up. I didn't in Sunday school. I didn't go to church. And you know, when you're talking about Jonah, I don't even know what the story is you're talking about. So, if you're going to tell the story uh, in a way that everyone can just accept this and get on to uh, the same plane that we're talking here, I'll let you take it away with a, a quick account of the story. Sure. So the the story well, it starts with Jonah being the number one prophet in the land, the representative of God. And so God comes and and speaks to him about going to the city of Nineveh, which is their enemies, and wanting to to, to send this message of repentance to to the enemies of the people of Israel. So Jonah decides that he doesn't want to do that. He decides that he knows that God is a merciful God, a gracious God. So he decides he is going to flee away. And, and take it, which is a bit strange when you are the man of God for that period of time to think that you can run away from God. So something else is going on there. But anyway, so he gets on a boat and he takes off. There's a, there's a great storm and there's a discussion amongst the sailors as to which God is causing this and who's the problem. And so Jonah's determined to be the problem, the problem child. So 
in the ancient world, what do you do? You get rid of your problem, pretty much like today. You throw it overboard. He gets thrown overboard. Then a great, great fish comes along, swallows Jonah, swims to a swims to the beach, swims to the shore, spits him up on the land, and then Jonah goes, okay, I'll go and preach the message to the Ninevites. He then walks across, makes his way across to the, to the capital city of Babylon, the Ninevites, and he goes up and down the city preaching the most unenthusiastic salvation message you've ever heard. This is a guy who doesn't want to be there. And then suddenly the whole city turns and repents from the king all the way to this very, very strange part of the story about something about goats repenting. Don't ask me. Well, I haven't figured that part out yet. <laughs> so this is why it's a weird and wonderful story on many levels. So that's my one-minute summary, Neil. I don't know if I've done it justice. Well, uh, for listeners, it's not a very long book in the Bible, but you can read Jonah and his story when you go to uh, Jonah in the Bible and, uh, you know, Jonah fleeing from the Lord. Now, when we're talking a biblical account like this, uh, you know, in my own bit of research and trying to get across some of the things we might be talking about today, I thought, well, uh, what are the things that people have got a problem with here? And I know that there have been some who say it's impossible for Jonah to have been swallowed by a big fish or a whale because there weren't too many whales in the Mediterranean, but apparently there were. Uh, Any thoughts here on, uh, just before we get into some of this other evidence you're talking about, the fact that in the Mediterranean Sea, uh, there were whales that had the capacity to swallow a human. Well, we, we see through the through the biblical account, through the ancient Greek accounts, through the ancient Roman accounts, there was always these sea monsters that would come up and that was the way they would describe them, that would attack the ships, that would swallow sailors. And, you know, a, a lot of people would just put this down to mythology and, and different things and, and a little bit of confusion by the sailors. I think we can we can definitely see that there's many species of land animals and sea animals that no longer exist because they've become extinct. And in the way that we see the, my general comment would be the way that we see the speed of extinction continuing on now, it's no surprise that there would be species of, of sea animals that would not be around today. And, and what, what's the general rule? The larger the animal, the more likely it is to become extinct. We see that with the recent extinction of the rhino. Uh, I can't remember which version of the rhino, but there's an extinction of the rhino recently in Africa. So it's very, very common, and I'd be very comfortable with that uh, just from what people who know more about it than what I do in that field say. All right, so when we're thinking of whales here in Australia, we're often thinking of a humpback whale, but there's all sorts of different types of whales, and uh, some of those are very, very large, as you say. Uh, It could have been a sea creature that may be now extinct, or it could be a whale that you could find somewhere in the Mediterranean. Hey, we're going to get into some deeper things here. And to talk to you, Brendan, today, which is just a real privilege about the archaeology. Now, you mentioned that there was an alternative god that the Ninevites were worshipping. His name was Dagan. So while you might not be able to say, here's the archaeological evidence, the bones of a whale, this must be the fish that swallowed Jonah, you can talk about the archaeology of the time Uh, around this god Dagan, the fish god. I wonder if you've got some insights here into what that British Museum large stone relief actually reveals to us. 
Yeah, well, you've got not only in the British Museum, but you've got the Istanbul Museum. You've got several depictions of this god Dagan. And when I was in the British Museum recently and I was having a day wandering through there, I came across this relief and this, this relief showed and depicted the image of a half man, half fish. And so I sort of went, hang on, <laughs> what, what's, what's going on? What's going on here? There's something very interesting happening, not knowing that, the, that, the, that Dagon was represented as half man or, or a fish in that sense. So I'm going, okay, this is clearly something that's going on to, to reveal something about the story, why it's connected with Jonah being swallowed by a fish. So we, we see that, that there is an important immediate connection there. So as I go and investigate it, and you can see this different image in the Istanbul Museum, you can see the image of a man being swallowed by a fish. Now, when I say a man being swallowed by a fish, think of a, a fish the size of a human being with a head like a crown on the top and the skins down the bottom and, and you can see the human's legs. So it's sort of enveloping this, uh, this person who is also seen to be the prophet sent by Dagon. So the alignment is there in such a significant way that if you were worshipping this god Dagon in that day and someone swims ashore having been uh, vomited up by uh, the fish and uh, there was some evidence I think of recent times where someone was actually uh, enveloped by a whale and uh, the digestive juices in the whale actually uh, stripped all the pigment from the skin of that particular man. So you might imagine that after three days in the belly of the big fish that, uh, that there might be some unusual things about Jonah and so wandering through the street might have drawn attention. How do you see that sort of thing, Brendan? Yeah, and, and that's that's very much how I, I'd understood the story previously that, you know, well, maybe it was Jonah's appearance that was the thing that, you know, this man who'd been bleached by the stomach acid of the of the whale or the fish's stomach and, and that gave him this strange appearance and this strange story connected. But let me tell you why the people of Nineveh responded and immediately repented. In their prophecies, their prophecies... They believed that Dagon would send a prophet every one to 200 years who had been swallowed by a fish. <laughs> Do you get that? It's amazing, isn't <laughs> that it? They were waiting for the guy who'd been swallowed by a fish because that man had a very, very important message for them. So Jonah is the man who was swallowed by the fish who has a message for them. It's just incredible how God lines everything up. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Well, our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join into our conversation today. Our special guest is Dr. Brendan Roach, the founder and president of the Bible teaching ministry called AXX at 1-800-316-316. We are talking about Jonah and being swallowed by a big fish and the Ninevites, a brutal people and their leaders and their expectation of seeing their own prophet arrive, and all of a sudden, here's the prophet of God, a prophet from the Hebrews who has arrived. 
Interesting, isn't it, Brendan Roach, that when you're looking at archaeological evidence, it's not just the archaeology from the Hebrew people, it's archaeology from all of those surrounding nations, and that all contributes to our understanding and the authenticity of the biblical account. Yeah, and and absolutely, and it's a very good point that you raise, Neil. This is not archaeology or, or documents or reliefs that's been generated by the Hebrew people in some way to provide evidence for the Bible or of their God. This is what we find in the city of Nineveh and has been discovered and has been and, and people look at the, the local culture there, which is probably why it's taken me 30 years to discover this little piece of information because it is very much centered around the city of Nineveh and the Ninevites themselves. And so you were just wandering, uh, just enjoying, as you do, uh, with your academic and archaeological hat on in the British Museum. I'm just imagining you now, just, uh, you're looking very casual and, and you're wandering down an aisle and something catches your eye. Is this the way this caught your eye? Yeah, it was, it was literally, um, I ducked into the, the bookshop and, and found myself a, a book on, which I had at home, um, uh, just a little paperback book on the different biblical things in the British Museum. And I thought, okay, I've, you know, that's how, you know, I enjoy myself. I've, I just had a, an interesting trip to Africa and um, needed a bit of downtime. So what do you do when you want to have some fun? You go to the British Museum, go wandering, looking for the biblical artifacts. And I was in a corner that literally nobody else was in. I mean, if you've been there, they've got a, unbelievable display on Nineveh. This wasn't part of that. And so I'm in this back corner and I'm looking at these little images of of men on one thing and I look up, which wasn't even in the book that I was looking at. I look up and here it says Dagon the fish god of, of Nineveh. And I just stood there and and looked at it and I just had that, you know, that little moment of joy that a biblical geek has. <laughs> and uh, just seeing seeing that I'm going wow this is like I discovered it for the first time so everybody's up looking at the Rosetta Stones and the mummies and the pharaohs and the the, the great animals of you know different images and animals of Nineveh um, and this was a very degraded thing so they tucked it off in the corner when I say little degraded thing this is about three meters by six meters big right. and but until I'd actually looked at the enhanced image they had of the photograph i couldn't really even myself tell what it was about so it was i mean yeah it's it was just uh, an amazing amazing find and and made my day neil made my day <laughs> i like the way you describe yourself as a geek hey we're taking calls <laughs> On 1-800-316-316, listeners with their own insights. Uh, let's hear from Brian in Wedderburn in Victoria. Hi, Brian. Welcome along. Hello. Glad to be on. Um, I just wanted to mention uh, whale sharks. They are a fish, and they are quite a large uh, um, fish at that, large enough to swallow a human being. That fits in line with the ideal of a fish swallowing Jonah. That's right, and I think we'd have to ask, are there whale sharks in the Mediterranean Sea? But uh, your thoughts for Brian, uh, Brendan? Yeah, and I, I, have, I have no doubt that people like Brian who, who know about this, this stuff and this information, that, it, that that's the part of the story in, in my mind that, that is the least problematic, but it's, it's, the, it's, it's the thing that casts doubt 
on it and makes it almost into this weird and what I call a weird and wonderful story of the Bible. So I want us to, I want us to come out of this little chat that we're having today to, to start embracing the weird and wonderful stories of the Bible. We mightn't be able to explain or understand them all, but let's embrace them and, and share them. And, and a little bit, of, little bit later, I might share one of my weird and wonderful stories that I had recently that I shared with a few uh, friends at the cafe. Okay. Brian, thank you so much for your call. Let's take another one. Steve is in Chinchilla in Queensland. Hi, Steve. G'day. How are you doing? Very well. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I've preached on that book a couple of times before, and that's a, a useful piece of information that, that Dagon, as you call that God was um, half fish and half man. So the, the bottom half was fish, the top was man. Or Sound, had, what does sounds it like, like a description of a mermaid or something, doesn't it? But uh, your thoughts yeah. here, Brendan? Yeah. For Steve? Yeah, actually, that that's that's not a bad description of it at all. A male mermaid with um, uh, a regal appearance and a, and the and the tail the tail of a fish is one. There's multiple different images of it. There's and that's one of the things we need to understand about the ancient world go across. There's not one depiction. There's lots of different images and ideas that come in these polytheistic societies. The other one is an image of a of a man with you just just imagine a normal fish, but a huge fish with scales, and 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 the and the man wearing it like a, a headdress, and then the scales like a cloak all the way down to the ground. Those are the two predominant images that we find out of the Istanbul Museum. Wonderful stuff. Steve, thank you so much for your call. Let's take another call. Wayne is in Mackay in Queensland. Hi, Wayne. Hey, how are you, mate? Very well. Hey, well, I've been listening to this conversation. The miracle that I've seen really take place here, besides many other miracles that I most probably can't comprehend, is anybody that that would get swallowed by a, a whale or, or any a shark or whatever, they would not survive. So once again, it's through the grace of God that he survived this because God had a vision. God had a... Um, that plan for his life to serve him and everything else that's involved uh, that's a great point you're making here wayne brendan when someone says to you three days in the belly of a big fish or a whale uh, the chances of survival are fairly low how do you respond to that well I, I think that's and that's what we forget a miracle is this is this is not on the balance of probabilities this is not something that's unlikely to happen it's a miracle because it's impossible. You know, the basic foundation of every miracle that we find in the Bible is that it cannot happen without the miraculous intervention of God. So that, that's why we need to start embracing these, what I call weird and wonderful stories of the Bible, because they show an overwhelmingly powerful God, as the last call said, who has a destiny for people, a plan and a purpose, and, we, and let's embrace the miraculous and understand the miraculous is not the normal day-to-day -day that cannot be explained. Wayne, thank you so much for your call. Let's squeeze in one more quick one before the news. Maria is in Melbourne. Hi, Maria. Need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Um, yes, thank you very much for sharing that. About um, uh, We we were um, studying um, the book of Jonah a couple of weeks ago in BSF, 
and it was just such a wonderful study. And I felt then as I was studying it, I just had this thought that perhaps that's why the people of um, Nineveh so readily and quickly repented and listened to Jonah because they knew that he had been vomited um, you know, out of the fish. And there was a story on 60 Minutes where a man who was all in his diving gear um, did get swallowed by a whale and he was vomited out and that was witnessed by the people on the boat and I just wondered, <laughs> we don't know of course, but whether there were some people by the shore um, that actually did witness Jonah being vomited out from, from the fish. So, Maria, good they, thought. We're about to go to news. A thought here for our listener who was talking about uh, a person being swallowed by a whale and uh, they were wearing a, a wetsuit. Uh, just for, for listeners, uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought that was a, a, a great example, a great story uh, of, of what had happened. I hadn't heard that before, but I think that absolutely, again, lends more more weight. None of these things on their own can prove the Bible. We're not looking towards proving the Bible beyond a skeptic's uh, shadow of a doubt, but it, what it does is it continually adds weight. I think the, one of the greatest evidences we have of the story is that the people of Nineveh, Ninevites accepted the story. They completely, they, Jonah was telling them the story, they embraced the story and they repented. So I think that is the ultimate evidence of what the account of the, the biblical account of what happened being true. We're going to develop this a little more, but let's take another call quickly. Lee is in Bathurst in New South Wales. Hi, Lee. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say that we, uh, many years ago, we went to the Eden Whale Museum and uh, they had a story there which was reported of a whaler who, uh, whose name was um, James Bartley. Uh, he was 21 and he was swallowed by a whale and um, apparently the whale died. It was a sperm whale. And uh, there was a couple of uh, things they said which could create oxygen. They said one is that the sperm whales take a huge breath of oxygen before they dive. And the other was that the breaking down of the fish in the belly of the whale actually creates oxygen. Um, he was in the belly of whale um, for I think 15 hours or even uh, one report is 36 hours. But uh, when they cut him out, he was unconscious. But the, the whalers actually captured the whale and they didn't realise he was in there until they saw some rhythmic uh, moving in the stomach when they were slaughtering it. So it was the next day or the day after. And then uh, they, they got him out. He was unconscious and uh, the gastric juices apparently had bleached him white and uh, he was uh, uh, like he was blinded by it apparently, but he lived another 18 years um, and died at the age of 30. So that account was in the Eden um, Killer Whale Museum. And, uh, Lee, that, that's uh, great. That's great insight. And uh, no doubt you'll see Brendan Roach uh, hanging around in Eden going to the museum because he loves museums. <laughs> uh, your thoughts here, Brendan, for Lee? Uh, yeah, and and again, it's another another story uh, outside the Bible, outside you know believers talking about these things, actually telling these great stories that actually lends lends weight to the Bible. I don't think anybody's going to be willing to test it out and jump in the belly of a, a fish or a whale to see if it's going to work. But I mean, it's great that we we have these these stories, and I mean, no matter how how you cut it, it just lends weight 
to to the Bible being true. And I suppose that's my main message today. Let's not back away from these weird and wonderful stories. Let's embrace them as a truth, but something so bizarre, we can't understand it, but let's just run with it. Lee, thank you so much for your call. Uh, We'll take some more calls in a few moments, but let's uh, talk some more about this. Interestingly, the story of Jonah, the biblical narrative um, this is a part of what is read on the Day of Atonement, uh, the uh, you know those celebrations and commemorations in the nation of Israel, a part of the Yom Kippur uh, celebrations. What do you uh, read into that uh, when they've got this connection here? And, of course, there's this Old Testament and then perhaps a New Testament connection. Uh, how do you see those things, Brendan? Yeah, I think it's really important that we when we look at how the Hebrews, the Jewish people, understand this story in their own religious belief and culture and context. They believe this is a great story of repentance. And again, when we look at the Bible, the Bible gives us great uh, exaggerations or great stories about the extremes, the, 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 the most extreme thing that can possibly happen. So here we have a prophet of Israel who is going and seeking repentance and forgiveness of God for their most brutal and despised enemies. These are the guys who come 150 years later, attack Jerusalem, God protects the city, but on the way goes to the city of Lachish. And what do they do? They impale the leaders, thousands of them, on on sticks and put them on the wall of the city. These were horrible, brutal, sadistic people that I'm sure Jonah was going, yes, let the vengeance of God come down upon these people. But the but we see in Yom Kippur that we are that God forgives the most brutal and despised enemies that you can imagine. Brendan, let's stay with Jonah here and his motivations, because as you say, this is a very brutal people. And uh, from my understanding here, when you're trying to understand what might have been going through Jonah's heart and mind at the time, because we see him fleeing God, uh, but is it is it the case that he may have been fleeing God uh, to save face for the people of Israel? Because the people of Israel, when they were confronted by the word from the prophet, the Israelis did not repent. But here was God promising to save a brutal nation Uh, that was led by the Ninevites. Any thoughts here on uh, where Jonah's heart and motivation might have been? Yeah, there's a a really... When I I would always read the story of of Jonah, I'd go, how could this... How could Jonah be a great prophet and think that he can run away from God? It just doesn't make sense. I mean, if that's the best that God had in that time and season, he's not doing too well. So I think we can remove that idea. He knows that he can't run away from God. This is he's this is not a local God of the mountains, a local God of the sands, a local God of the ocean. This is a God who covers the whole of the whole of the world, the whole of the universe. So he knows there's nowhere he can go to outrun him. So Jonah takes off, and there's a thing called the Akedah where we where where there's a sense of you sacrifice yourself. For the kingdom of God. Now we see that with Jesus who comes to the cross and says, I willingly offer my body. Let your God, let your will be done. Romans talks about us willingly offering our bodies as a 
living sacrifice. And that again is the Akedah. You don't need to die. You need to offer your body as a as a willing sacrifice for God to do with as he wishes. So Jonah, in his desire to do something for God, gets it a little bit wrong. Now, what he wants is he is willing to sacrifice his own life in order that the Ninevites would be destroyed, which they are eventually destroyed by God. But he, but God does not want people destroyed. So, so Jonah was willing to sacrifice his life, and God goes, no, no, that's not the answer to this problem. The answer is you go and preach repentance and let the Holy Spirit do its work. If they reject me, I'll destroy them. If they accept me, I will pour out my blessing upon them. Now, Jonah didn't want the blessing of God poured out upon him. He wanted him to be destroyed. So I think it's really important that as we go through life, that we do not create ourselves to be martyrs for the things that God doesn't want us to be martyrs for. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to the will of God, not to our will. Do you think there's something in the thought that Jonah might not have been as afraid of the Ninevites because he knew he was a prophet of the Most High God and that God would have his back even if he did turn up in the Ninevite city and declare his message to the leaders there, but that this uh, Akadar uh, idea of trying to escape from what God was about to do for the Ninevites. Is there some weight in that? I think that the the Ninevites were were definitely a group of people who who didn't in in our world, in our imagination, didn't deserve the mercy or the grace of God by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, but if you actually it's it's a you can read the book of Jonah very comfortably in half an hour, fifteen minutes if you're a quick reader. I like going to the end of the book of Jonah where we see Jonah who goes, I knew you would do this, God. I knew you would forgive them, and gets grumpy with God. This this guy's not a role model in any stretch of the imagination. And then he goes up on the hill, has a little bit of a sook. A God gives him a nice bit of shade, and then he thinks, God, you are so wonderful. And then the next day the plant dies and he loses his shade. Jonah is the epitome of someone who lives their life with a circumstantial theology. God, I love you when you do something nice for me. God, why have you abandoned me when something small goes against us? That's another lesson we can learn from Jonah. I, I call it the, uh, the the very strange comedic book, chapter four of the book of Jonah, where just you guys weird and wonderful, strange behavior that Jonah gets into again. Can we all empathise a little bit with Jonah on some of those sorts of things? Uh, When things go right, uh, we're happy for God to have his way. When things are going wrong or the people that are are in our own minds, uh, not not, uh, candidates for his goodness and mercy, that somehow or other uh, we'd want the worst for them. And I'll get your response in that uh, in just a few moments, but let's take another call. Bill is in Victoria. Hi, Bill. Welcome along. Well, thank you very much, Neil, and thank you, Brendan, for your input. Just, just on a on a on a previous comment you made about having one million um, teachers, one million ministers being trained informally. I'm just wondering whether you can comment on these two passages. So, in in Ezra chapter chapter seven, uh, verse eight and nine, it's sort of talking about Ezra being a scholar 
who's dedicated his life to studying the law, to, to studying God's way, devoted his life to study, to practicing and teaching. So he, he sounds like he really looked at being equipped holistically to minister. Also, in Acts 22, Paul talks about being a, a student under Gamaliel, under strict instructions of the law, of the ancestors, of studying about a dedicated teacher, being equipped for the work. I'm just wondering in terms of equipping teachers informally, how, how, you, how, you, how, you, how you manage to work around possibly people being maybe not holistically equipped. Good stuff. Uh, good question there, Bill. Uh, a thought or two on, on how your ministry is equipping those uh, in various uh, developing countries around the world, Brendan? Yeah, I, I think we, I call it the uh, the, the Peter and, and Paul. So you, you're right, you've, you've accurately described how Paul and Ezra were developed and prepared for ministry. We have a look at also how Peter was developed and prepared for ministry. He was developed in very much a, what I would call an informal setting, sitting around, discussing the Bible, going out, uh, seeing Jesus perform miracles and and experiencing the things of God and learning about them at the same way. So I think they're both valid ways of preparing people for ministry is the way Peter did it and the way Paul did it. And what we see in Africa and other places at the moment is an explosion of pastors out there who are moving in the spirit doing great things, but they need to have a little bit of help with basic Bible and theology, and that's what we're there to help them with. Bill, thank you so much for a good question, and uh, it does bring out some of those substances of what you're involved in, and uh, just this aspiration to meet the needs of, uh, you know, millions of pastors who are not well qualified in these developing nations is very powerful. We might touch on how listeners can be supportive of Acts AXX in just a moment, but let's tie off a loose end or two. Uh, we've got to end our conversation just a little bit uh, earlier than we would ordinarily, but come back to Jesus and Jonah. As we tie some loose ends together here, how do we understand the connection there, Brendan? And uh, and as we understand uh, all of these extra archaeological evidences that that gives a, a you know real light on the on the whole Jonah story. Yeah, I think again we go to the Garden of Gethsemane where where Jesus role models for us, Lord, let your will be done, not my will be done, but Lord, let your will be done, and we see see Jonah who really. It probably represents most of us, really, struggle when we know what the will of God is, but we're a little bit reluctant to do it sometimes. And we, in our heart, we want to say that prayer, Lord, let your will be done. But sometimes our own logic and mindset goes against that. So I think we can see from that we want to follow the role model of, of Jesus, which is, Lord, let your will be done. Not as a statement of being passive, but a statement of faith. Lord, I believe you're in control. Let your will be done. And even the worst people in our mind who don't look as though they are deserving of the mercy and grace of God, uh, Jonah turns that on its head. Uh, Jesus turns that on its head. Uh, a lesson there to be learned in the way we might realign ourselves uh, with our identity with Christ. Yeah, and, and I think that's... And we've we've got to shift away from this person to make a good Christian because they're socially acceptable, what I call the socially acceptable sinner. And we don't know how cl how close they are 
in a person who's riling against the things of God, quite often it's because God's speaking to them and challenging them with the Holy Spirit about drawing closer to him. So we just, let's not worry about their behavior. Let's just give them the gospel and let God do the work on their hearts. And Brendan, I want to give the Acts website because there'll be listeners now who might want to even uh, sample what's going on. Uh, some of the studies that you've got on your axx.edu.au website, uh, but you've got ministry training courses for people who can't, for reasons of geography or cost or discrimination or persecution, they can't normally access those. Uh, you've only got a very small number of pastors around the world who are adequately trained. Most Christians in the world, and we look at our own resources here, they are significant compared to so many nations where there is widespread poverty under persecution. People can't access high-quality training resources. Uh, you've got lots of inquiries coming for your ministry programs from all sorts of poorer nations around the world. Uh, just a quick thought or two here, Brendan, on people who are listening to our conversation now wanting to support the good work that you're doing. How can they do that adequately? If they go to... Uh, axx.edu.au or if you just type in axx in the google search you'll find us and then go up into the top menu and and look for the about us and donate section but i just then that would be great and this is what you're donating to we are getting a thousand training requests a month neil and we have now got five thousand five hundred pastors in training and they don't pay anything we are now graduating 50 pastors a month so that's if you purchase a course, all that money goes to supporting and training these majority world pastors. But that's what we're doing. There is such an enormous need out there. And I tell you now, if we could increase our resources, we could be training 20,000 people, 30,000 people a year without any problems. So anything you could do, pray for us, support us financially. Uh, we'd love to do that. Or if you want to do a course from $10 a month, you could do that, and all that money goes to support our mission as well. A wonderful opportunity there, and yes, you did hear right, $10 a month, and you too can be doing some studies through AXX, axx.edu.au. Dr. Brendan Roach is the founder and president of the Bible teaching ministry called Acts, AXX. Brendan, thanks so much for sharing your heart, uh, for letting the geek out for listeners today, just uh, absolutely wonderful, and you've inspired us all to go to the British Museum now. So uh, there might be some who might be thinking, I need to go there and see some of these things Brendan's talking about. But Brendan Roach, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. God bless. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 